All right, everybody, don't drop that fast forward button. The sponsorship roll call is about to begin. Energy Consulting Limited provides complete project management and general contracting services to a variety of private sector clients on both commercial and residential construction projects. They act as the owner's representatives through the planning, design, budgeting, scheduling, construction, and occupancy processes. Clients appreciate their open, honest, and flexible approach to achieving their project goals. Although they're located in Surrey, BC, Energy works on projects all over the province, including the growing cities of the north and the beautiful coastal towns of Vancouver Island. They're always excited to explore new places and develop relationships with professionals wherever their clients' interests may be. Abacus North is a firm that specializes in mortgage banking solutions for complex projects. In addition to providing financing solutions in a traditional mortgage broker capacity, Abacus North provides direct loans that range from $2 million to $25 million. On a syndicated basis, they provide mortgage banking solutions up to $300 million. In most cases, their in-house capital solutions can bridge financing gaps that traditional lenders are unable to service. They specialize in providing land acquisition loans, construction financing for large-scale developments, income-producing properties, and single-purpose facilities. With a portfolio that includes high-rise, mid-rise, and low-rise condominiums, townhouse developments, shopping centers, agricultural properties, industrial developments, and medical marijuana facilities, Abacus North is at the forefront of creative mortgage banking solutions with a focus on fostering long-term relationships. They are a multifaceted organization that services domestic and international clients with their mortgage banking needs. Complex financing solutions require analytical thinking well beyond a typical mortgage broker relationship. As a result, they focus on providing engineered solutions for their client. Their key differentiation strategy is that they assist clients in actively managing the capital stack in order to minimize borrowing costs while maximizing flexibility. Abacus North focuses on national and global opportunities. Ascentia CPA has a team of new-gen chartered professional accountants that are dedicated to advancing companies using expertise combined with emerging technologies. The team at Ascentia will implement the latest accounting technologies, allowing you to not only run a business, but to run a smart business that will excel in your industry. Their focus is to provide growth-centric, value-added, and timely accounting services for businesses, as well as individuals across Canada. Unlike standard accounting firms, by embracing cloud-based software, the team at Ascentia will provide you with real-time accounting information on a secure platform that is accessible anywhere at any time, allowing you to make better informed decisions and gain more controlled overview of your financial data. The reliability and expertise you will experience with the professionals at Ascentia will assist you in the preparation of corporate and personal tax returns, financial statements, bookkeeping, government filings, tax and estate planning, as well as business advisory services. For more information on the advantages of online accounting and to book a complimentary meeting online, be sure to visit ascentiacpa.ca. We are
All right, we're back here at Body Comp Imaging in Vancouver with Peter. Welcome, Peter. Hello, Blake. How are you doing? No, I do well. I don't know yet. You're going to tell me uh, soon here. So, um, second DEXA scan getting done right now. Um, this is uh, after the vegan diet, after the ketogenic diet and paleo diet. So now um, we're here, and this is uh, post Kangen water experiment too. So. Um, all right, Peter, tell, tell us what we've learned. Tell, hopefully, I'm a little bit better here now. That's, that's the goal, right? So I've got no data yet, but what I'm seeing visibly is that you've got less fat in the lower abdomen than you did just a month ago. So you can see you've decreased fat mass. Um, the visceral fat visibly looks to be less as well, but I want to see the numerics on that. Now we're just about ready to go. Bone density, we're unlikely to see a significant change in just a month's time, but if it's something you added was making a drastic difference, we will see an uptrend on that as well. Just a moment here. So when was it that I was here last? Was it, uh, what was the date that was your last? On May 29th. May 29th. And that's when I, obviously, as we see there, is that 22.3% body fat? Was that last time or this that's, time? That's correct. That was last time you were in. Uh, so 22.3 is just within our healthy range. We want to say sub 22 for a guy your age. What we found was that the belly was a little bit higher at 26%. We also want that down below 22. So the transition is what we are curious to see. And we can see that... So the visceral fat needed to drop about four yeah, percent at least. You ended up able to kind of get into like what we uh, what we can consider to be healthy. Yeah, and that's exactly what you pulled off. So you've dropped your whole body by two point six percent. You're down two, just over two kilograms, about five pounds of fat. Your muscle mass is actually increasing. Your lean mass is up by a significant amount, three pounds. And your belly, your android band, went from twenty six point three down to twenty two point four. Oh, so you drop four percent in the gut. You drop two and a half percent in the whole body. You put on muscle mass. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll take uh, that. That's a good trend line. Uh, I'm actually really interested to see the um, the legs too, because we were aiming to be able to put three pounds on the legs mm -hmm. of muscle mass. I'm just um, I'm interested because I've been pushing a lot of weight sled these days. My goal is to get up to a uh, thousand pounds on the sled yeah. for forty feet, and uh, I, I got up to eleven hundred and twenty-five. Moving so, some volume around, yeah, 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 yeah. So hopefully that helped a little bit. Lots of hiking, lots, uh, lots of multi days in the backcountry, so climbing lots of mountains. And so nutrition changes were they significant as well? Um, yeah. Well, we would have been, like I said, like through ketogenic paleo, and then now that I've been on the king and water, I've drifted a lot back uh, towards the carnivore diet with plant-based fats as we were just talking about uh, so there's been like a couple dietary changes you know in between there but really focusing on you know like the increased protein intake because you know obviously coming up the vegan diet I could do that um, through the ketogenic diet and the paleo diet you and then the kangen to, water yeah, experiment yeah. so um, I've really been focused on that because I, I know as I was at a huge deficit coming out of the vegan diet okay um, so I would say that's that's probably the biggest dietary change was just a, a very minimal carbohydrates. As, as we were talking about before we started recording this, that um, I've noticed just a lot of inflammation associated with uh, with carbohydrate intake, you know, even right down to, you know, like fruits and vegetables, so like anything outside of grains and, and processed uh, carbohydrates, but it also has now resulted into uh, fruits and vegetables as well. 
So we're seeing um, pretty uniform changes. You built half a pound of muscle in your left arm. You built half a pound of muscle in your right arm. You built 1.2 pounds of lean mass in your torso. And your legs did increase, but only by about a third of a pound each. Okay. Fat loss is uniform as well. You lost about a third of a pound off each of your arms. You lost three pounds of fat off your torso. And you lost 0.9 and 0.6 pounds of fat off your legs. Yep. So I'm quite happy with that. You're effectively building muscle well at a mild calorie deficit. You're effectively putting on two and a half pounds of lean mass per month. While, or, uh, sorry, uh, one and a half pounds of lean mass per month while dropping fat. Okay. Which is great. But more fat in my left leg than my right leg loss. Like, what do you well, think the would cause... asymmetry, that's probably down to the way I process it. So depending on where I draw the little pixel line, it okay. can be something one side to the other. Yeah. So when we see small differences like that, it's just as likely that your your placement is a factor yeah. as opposed to... So it's part of the, the process of the scan. We're going to have... Um, better sensitivity in the whole body than the subregions. There's a, a higher percent error on all the subregions when you've got less data to keep look at. I actually noticed when I was at the um, bottom part of my squat the other day, I looked mm -hmm. in the mirror, it looks like my left glute's way more underdeveloped than my right glute. That's the only reason why I mentioned that because it, it, it seems like I have not less... not activating as much. Yeah. Interesting because I find your, your overall muscle mass in your legs is pretty balanced, 22.3, 21.9. Yeah. I'd say there's no asymmetry, but maybe just the way that, that muscle group is firing specifically. Yeah. So trend lines, yeah, um, you're losing fat off the lower belly faster than the whole body, which is great. Both the whole body and the belly are within healthy range. Um, the bone density I want to take a look at here because that's, medically speaking, was the one thing that was the least healthy. We're not seeing a statistically significant change in the hip. It's actually down slightly, but what we've got going on here is that unless the change is greater than the 0.27, it's not considered statistically significant. So okay. it's down, but probably just measurement noise. The lumbar spine is responding very much so, though. So this is quite interesting to me. 4.5% uh, with the asterisk next to it is very statistically significant. Mm -hmm. And something has changed markedly. Really? Yeah. So I don't Is know. that very atypical? Does yeah, yeah, you would not expect change? Not, that's, that's what I expect for healthy changes in a year. Wow. And yeah. that's been two months. Two months. So that says that something you've been doing, whether it's the loading or something from a supplementation point of view, is making a big difference. Yeah. Um, you can think of the density itself, 0.902 to 0.943. That's yeah. a big movement. Um, whole body, I'm curious. Wow. That actually makes me really happy because I was not very uh, I was not very happy with the bone density no, last time. So. In. Um, and the whole body, we're getting a contradictory result to that. And 24, yeah, so the... the the problem with measuring bonus in the whole body is that the changes in your in your density are happening predominantly in the vascular parts of the bones. So that's going to be throughout the whole spine, the ends of the hips, the wrists. You don't see much change in bone density in the cortical bone, in the middle of the shafts of the bones, or in your skull. Um, and the other challenge with whole body bone density is that we're, we're essentially calculating BMD, grams of bone per square centimeter, 1.176. It's grams of bone that we measure pretty accurately divided by surface area. Surface area can change an awful lot because if I rotate your arms or legs, yeah. you're going to have different amounts of exposed bone surface. Oh, so that yeah. adds a fair bit of variability. So what we like about doing the spine specifically is that we get a really accurate surface area measurement there. And that's where the change is happening predominantly. So even though the whole body is showing a negative, we're ignoring this data because this trumps a pretty wide margin. Okay. Um, that being said... It does suggest that you're not necessarily increasing bone density in the rest of the body as well. Yeah. So we've still got an ongoing concern here. It's not fixed yet, but uh, I, I'm, I'm confident that you're improving it with the lumbar spine change. Okay, so we're kind of headed generally in the generally right in the direction. Generally in the right direction, but I, I'm still nervous. I, I, well, I don't understand why your bone density is low. 
Yeah. That's the major factor because you, you lift heavy loads. Your vitamin D levels were probably pretty good. You've been eating lots of nutrient-dense foods. You weren't guzzling. Yeah, and I spent a lot of time outside, yeah. you know, like like an absurd amount of time outside compared to the average person. person. And, and like, all loads and doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm like, you know, probably six, seven hours outside every day, like in the sun. Or yeah, so that's why like I'm not. confused at why, why was your buoyancy lower than expected. Mm-hmm. Is it just genetics? Was it gut health issues? Who knows? Yeah. Um, so, but the trend line is really what's the important part. So, yeah, this kind of... You know, what are you going to do for the next two months? Um, so the next, this month coming up, so like in August, I'll be taking, uh, so I'll be back on predominantly the carnivore diet with plant-based fats. Okay. Um, I'm going to go back to regular water, not the Kangen water. Okay. Um, and then um, what I'm introducing in is NRF1, NRF2, and NAD okay. supplementation yeah. uh, to see what that's like for performance and recovery. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, as far as composition goals, uh, still the same thing, trying to make sure that I get that increase in muscle mass that we're looking for. Yep. And I still feel like I need to drop about two or three pounds uh, of fat. Yeah. So your, your entire body has 33 pounds of fats. Now we describe essential fat mass for a man. Your height is about 20 pounds of fat. Yeah. Most performance athletes, like we're talking Olympic caliber athletes, depending on their sport, are going to carry 25 to 30 pounds of fat. Yeah. So you're, you're not carrying much more than you want to get rid of but yeah i think dropping another three is reasonable um but yeah i, I wouldn't get too caught up in the fat loss adventure because you're 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 quite lean my uh, my primary goal through all this though is to get the bone health up because to, to me like i would rather carry a little bit more fat on my body and i would even be honest like carry a little bit less muscle if the result of that was greater bone health yeah, but uh, I, I don't think that should be a factor but you wouldn't want to try to get hyper lean because that can compromise testosterone levels right now you're leaner than just over 80 percent of men in north america okay that's a pretty good place to be you're one in five lean uh the population i'm being compared against though well, in north america is yes kind no. of think about iron man culture where did iron man exist where did, you develop? No. Where did bodybuilding culture start the states that is true we the states is both hyper obese but also hyper fit yeah, a lot of the best athletes in the world reside there, and it's uh, we like to focus on the, the the unhealthy Americans, but we forget about how ripped a lot of them are too. Yeah, so it's it's a funny bimodal population. It really yeah, is. it actually is. Yeah, you make a good point. Like you just kind of go there because that's the narrative that everybody talks about. It's just like how unhealthy the Americans, Americans are, how are. obese and Americans I are. I think the reason that gets conversed about is it deflects from how unhealthy Canadians are. Yeah, we're the same. Yeah, and but it's a cultural pride thing. We like to pretend we're way fitter and nicer and better looking than the Americans are, and we're very much similar. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. But um, what what do you suggest? You know, we we talked about before. That's how we came. It's trying to build up the the uh, muscle mass in the legs and help decreasing the fat a little bit. Like, what do you see here besides like the the bone density? Obviously, that we need well, to keep your, track your of. muscularity. So you're already more muscular than the average guy your age height. Yeah, uh, we describe your torso now as being 0.1 SD more muscular than average. Arms and legs 0.5 above average. So you got more muscle in about 55, 60 percent of men your age height. Yeah, um, it depends if you want more than that. You, you pay a weight penalty for more muscle. Yeah. So you can get stronger, you're going to be heavier, and you're going to have less endurance. Mm-hmm. And there's always a trade-off for that. So it, it depends on, are you ever not strong enough for the day-to-day life? Well, and this is my thing. Like a lot of my stuff is endurance-based, you know, like playing squash, you know, um, like alpine running. Big hikes, ultras, yeah. You know, like multi-day hikes. So that's like, where you don't necessarily want to get hypermuscular. Yeah. Um, we talked about you've maybe got three pounds of fat to lose. So I honestly, from a body composition point of view, I think you're approaching an ideal composition for your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. and then I'd be trying to maintain this nice leanness. Yeah, that's the biggest challenge. Would be, can I can I keep my body fat levels sub twenty percent for the next five years? Yeah. So let me throw this. So, 
in the last uh, 10 days, this is a little bit irregular mm-hmm. uh, to my lifestyle, but it is and it isn't per se. Um, so in a 10-day period, I get, I burn about 30,000 calories, yeah. like tracking it. Um, now, I'm up to about 40,000 calories in the summertime because of all the that, like, yeah, yeah. stuff like that. Um, like, is there a concern with that? Like, you from like a body composition or like what's going to happen in my body is in like resources if, or as long as I'm eating enough, is as long there? As eating enough. What do you think a farmer burns in the summer? An old school farmer. Um, 16 hour days, hauling gear around, feeding cattle. Well, I always compare it to my dad. I grew up on a farm in Alberta, and my dad used to probably eat one meal a day before he'd go out work in the fields, which would be a dozen eggs, an entire loaf of um, home-baked bread, yep. um, and a pound of bacon with, like, tons of cheese. You get about 3,000 calories for breakfast? Yeah, and then that's it. Wow. Yeah. And then dinner? Um, rarely. Maybe some coffee at lunchtime. And he would just go, like, that was just – and my dad was jacked, like, just jacked, like, all – but he would just pound the calories in – you know, and then, you know, maybe like summer was like, you know, like a few beers and, you know, maybe like some meat or something like that, you know, yeah, but yeah. it wasn't, uh, it wasn't anything. But I recognize that now because even like after doing all this, like I have a really hard time eating anything uh, but meat. Like my body just, it feels like the more activity I do, the less I want to eat. But what I want to eat is meat. <laughs> so I don't know if like one has anything to do with the other to or like tapping into like my viking roots or something like that but it's it's a what do you build muscle out of meat it's a pretty good foundation for it yeah um and that's where i I, as much as i'm skeptical about carnivore diet just because we've been indoctrinated that we need vegetables um the outcomes i'm seeing from it are quite positive in a lot of people so it's, it's got me quite interested yeah yeah so all right so it looks like we have some really good information we've got some great results yeah um fat mass is i say the most significant change is fat reduction yeah. But you're doing that well, getting enough protein and stimuli for muscle growth, which is fantastic. You're doing the recomposition, which is often thought of as not being possible. You're building muscle while dropping fat simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, it would probably be faster if you're bulking and cutting, but it's so easy to get those wrong. I don't recommend them. Yeah. Um, you've demonstrated some variable bone density changes. The spine is the biggest statistical change with an improvement, but we're seeing a minor loss in both the whole body and the hip that are probably not statistically significant. That's the one challenge with doing is to too much follow-up. We need typically longer time intervals to have more real data. Yeah. But uh, I don't think I'd change anything with what your therapy approach is. Um, the multivite is probably a yeah. big factor in that as well. So, and this is what we talked about before, like my concern that my visceral fat's going up because of being in the ice bath. Obviously, we just proved that that's wrong. That's not true. Yeah. Because you're losing fat off the abdomen at a very high rate. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm completely happy with that. And, and this is something that, that like we talked about, like I, I, I need to figure out a way to be able to track because like I burn so many calories that are going what I believe to be untracked because of the software on the watch. Um, you know, is not mm-hmm. killing the calories I'm burning to try to reheat my body. Correct. Um, and there's no way of knowing that. And yeah. it takes about two or three hours from my body just to even feel kind of normal yes. again. Yeah. Um, but it, it's interesting because it feels like my fascial layer yeah. um, is chronically cool. It feels like built-in air conditioning. Like mm-hmm. I feel like I'm wearing a saran wrap layer on my body that is cool. And underneath that saran wrap layer is noticeably warmer. Interesting. It's very you, odd. You know what would be a fun project to do sometime is, have you had your resting metabolic rate measured? No. So they do that with a, a CO2 flow meter. 
Um, it's the same device that's used for calculating what they call VO2 max, which is your peak oxygen consumption. Yeah. Um, that's useful for endurance athletes for training. But what's a very interesting number as well is what we call your resting metabolic rate. Mm -hmm. Now, I estimate that based on how much muscle you've got, but I'm not directly measuring it. If you have a goofy thyroid, I'm not going to be able to replicate that because I don't measure your hormones. Yeah. Um, but doing an actual carbon dioxide test, they get, get you in a rested state and they'll have you lay in a bed for about half an hour to make sure you're rate calm and you're not burning any more than you would at full rest. And yeah. then they just measure your real-time flow rate for carbon dioxide. What would be interesting is seeing uh, maybe two or three hours after your ice bath, how much higher is your RMR versus your true RMR? Yeah. Because I, I bet you'd have a temporary power surge, essentially. I bet you're, 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 you're ramping up your resting metabolic rate yeah. to, to both replenish heat and, and to recover from that. Hmm. That'd be a fun one. That would be a fun. Would you know anybody that'd be interested in like um, the experience? wellness garage? That other side of uh, my other places, they've got one of the meters. Um, they might be talking into that, but they're not doing any of the testing right now because of COVID. Yeah. Um, the only other place I know of is out in Fort Langley, um, and I don't know the people there personally. Well, and in like our uh, our tanks are in South Surrey, so you yep. know maybe when the the guys at Wellness Garage feel yep. a little bit better, like we could look at running tests. Because, exactly. Like it, like I find it to be interesting because like before, like as we talk about, like we know that. Body's going to convert white fat cells into brown fat cells, you know, to be able to have like the increased energy production to help reheat the body. But we, there is no, there's no science, there, there's no data collected on like how many calories we're just going to burn as in just trying to reheat because yeah. I'm about minus two for eight minutes. And hmm. like it's like, I'm acclimated to it now, but not as in like how much energy it takes to reheat. And I'd like, you, I you'd almost need a physicist to do that calculation because there's going to be a pretty fixed amount of energy transfer from your body to the water. Hmm. Um, so someone who understands material science would probably be able to make a rough estimate of what that would be. Um, yeah, and I and I, I track the reheat process on my watch because this um, the software on the watch tracks um, your body temperature. Okay. And like it's about, I go through obviously the massive dip and then it takes about two and a half hours hmm. to get my body re-regulated body temperature wise. Okay. Uh, but again, to what's the ener energy expenditure to be able to get to that point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, you know, like no it's... Idea, but I, I've got some stuff. I know what I'm Googling is happening for lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, have you, you done some Googling on that? Have you looked and seen if anyone's done hard research on it? Uh, there's just not a lot because no. every all the research in like these areas is really directly geared towards sauna right now because, yes. you know, yeah, sauna big, so you know, anxiety, depression, you know, like there's, there's, a, there's more funding. There's not even a lot of funding, but there's more funding there, but not as much. Um, when it comes to cold therapy. You well, know. And, and probably your tolerance is poor with cold therapy as well. Yeah. A little more likely to go in a sauna than, yeah. Very much so, because when we get people to go in the tank, like you're talking, most people last about 30 seconds yeah. their first few times. Well, it physically so. hurts. Yeah. yeah, and then they kind of build up a little bit of tolerance from there, and then they're able to kind of get in a few times and stuff. But uh, it, it's not easy. Being comfortable with the cold is or even just breathing. not easy. Trying to maintain a respiratory pattern where you don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. can imagine. Cool. That, that's a uh, great things to be able to check. Um, based on anything that you uh, that you know in relationship to that, I just want to cover this real quick because you said you've noticed with people coming in uh, to the clinic here that um, like more people experimenting with this carnivore diet, you've seen some results on it, and that may have triggered a response into you might want to do that mm -hmm. personally. Like, what are some of the things that you're seeing from these people who've come in to get their scans done? who've been on the carnivore diet, um, I would assume that it's positive if you were ex wanting to experiment yourself. First of all, I expected someone to get sick. Yeah. I was quite surprised that no one got scurvy, no one developed any in insufficiencies. Um, I've seen bone density improvements 
on carnivore diet, which I thought would be counterlogical because I suspected most people wouldn't be getting as much plant-based uh, minerals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're either getting enough calcium from things like marrow or bones or in small fish, or they're absorbing it better. Yeah. Um, and I've seen, like you did over this interval, both spontaneous lean mass gains with fat loss, which I was surprised with no carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. So generally similar outcomes to what we see in a ketogenic diet, but maybe even exaggerated. And a lot of people are saying their gut health is never better. Yeah. And that's, again, something I expected that the lack of fiber would be a problem, whereas a lot of people seem to have regular bowel movements that are well-formed on no fiber and their guts are fine. Yeah. So, yeah, But isn't it like odd to be able to sit down and, and actually say that, admit that, and know that it's true? Because it's completely contradictory. It's completely contradictory to everything I grew up with nutritionally. And now I'm trying to figure out, are vegetables essential? Because that's that was one of the nutritional truths that no matter whether you're vegan or current or paleo or most dietary styles, that was the one thing everyone was like, yeah, thumbs it up. Yeah, yeah, veggies are super important. Yeah, and there might not be as much of a, a truth to that, and that's that's quite yeah. Yeah, and you know the one thing that I find is, is the hardest pill for people to swallow now is when I tell them how much my blood pressure spikes, you know, through um, the vegan diet and the paleo diet, but on carnivore diet was the best, ketogenic was second best. And then paleo, then the vegan diet. Like the vegan diet was the worst on my blood pressure. I was almost like grade one hypertension almost for an entire month. And the same thing with the paleo diet. It would fluctuate depending on like what day between like grade one hypertension and like kind of like, you know, high normal. But when I was on the carnivore diet, it was either optimal or Mm -hmm. normal almost the entire month. And now that I've got about like, you know, like that week into the carnivore Mm -hmm. diet again, you know, flush out all the carbohydrate on my body, really minimizing the amount of um, uh, fruits and vegetables that I eat. Like I'm back down into like that normal and almost optimal range in my blood pressure. That's pretty well. It's pretty well. And where I've noticed the big difference there is I, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced. I only figured this out about a week ago. I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced now that my sport-induced asthma, air quotes, has been misdiagnosed as temporary um fluctuations in blood pressure because when my blood pressure is in like grade one hypertension and i go to play squash in the morning i'm dying like even hiking like i i'm i'm struggling just Just gassed right out but when my blood pressure is in the optimal range do you think you can keep up with me not a fucking chance not a chance like like not not any respiratory distress at all or um, on top of that the um, the fatigue in the legs, the lactic acid buildup yeah. and altitude, not even not even a concern. Do you use a uh, ventilator regularly? I, I I refuse to use it when they told me it was like, and I ditched it ten years ago. I, I used it for like a month, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to become dependent on this if I keep mm-hmm. on using it. So I was like, no matter how much of a struggle it is, I can re-regulate if I just calm myself down and focus on my breathing and bring myself in. I've always done that. Uh, but I'm glad that I've done that because I actually realized I don't think it's for induced asthma at all. Like I would walk in and say like, sometimes I have shortness of breath, yes. you know, tightness in the chest, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I know now that's just from high blood pressure. <laughs> it's a, it's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. So it's a lot of, a lot of interesting material has come out of, uh, this experiment to be able to challenge it. But you want to talk to people in this field, mm-hmm. nobody wants to hear it. It's going to be a, a long, slow argument. Yeah. Um, and you get both the ethical, oh, we, and there's truth to that, that the whole world can't scale to ethical meat. Yeah. With our current production methods. It does not scale. That's fair. But uh, that being said, if, if you want something that's optimized, 
it's yeah, for the individual to experiment with. Why not? And it, the, the, the psychological throwback is very strong. Yeah. yeah. But well, and you know, for me, I'm like, okay, well, that may be a sound argument if we were eating nose to tail, but we're not. Yeah. Yeah. We're throwing away like half of the meat and half of the resources that are on every, every animal product that we consume. So if we just started eating more nose to tail and that became more socially acceptable, yep. then you would essentially almost double the production and the amount of readily available meats. And on top of that, that's not even including what we waste. Mm-hmm. You know, so if we just, if we ate what we were going to and eat. And our, our systems a little bit better. Yeah, 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 you know, like I think there would actually be more than enough to go around. Um, and too, like I had this conversation with somebody the other day when I told him, like, I'm actually not going to eat fruits and vegetables. And I'm going to be diligent to try not to because I realized the inflammation that it brings to my mm-hmm. body. Um, that you can't even argue the, so if you were to eat eight to 10 servings of vegetables, mm-hmm. fruits and vegetables every day. Now, presumably, even if you did that, which we know nobody does. So presumably if you're doing that to be able to get the proper amount of vitamins and minerals that mm-hmm. for what they say you need to eat in a day, that's under the assumption that you had like fine ripened food, you know, like the no, nutrient no. quality was high in the soil, Not you know, like produced, uh, agriculture all that can, because yeah, you know, up jelly. Yeah, I'm like your your intake is probably 15 to 20 because they're so nutrient poor. But no, if you can't eat eight to 10, how are you ever going to eat more than that? You know, so I think that we're we're superficially giving ourselves a pat on the back by eating fruits and vegetables simply because, again, we've been told that that's okay. We're visually doing it, and it seems like the the ethical and moral thing to do. But again, we don't even know what the actual nutrient quality is like. That, however, if you have a piece of meat. The only thing we're on the flip side that we have to worry about is like the antibiotics, the hormones and all that kind of stuff. But if you get like a, a free range grass fed cow, that meat is high quality, you know, but if you have organic fruits and vegetables, just because it's organic doesn't mean the nutrient quality is high. Correct. So I think like the greater of two evils there is like saying that like this nutrient quality or like that organic fruits and vegetables are better leading people to believe that because they're organic, maybe that there's all these other benefits to them versus well, it, like the meat. It, there might be other aspects of the farm are better. They, they might have better relations with the, the surrounding land. Yeah. The, the farm might have some better practices, but it might also be less efficient. Yeah. And that's one of the other issues. You go, well, if, if the organic farm's only putting out three pounds of bananas per month and the regular one's putting out 10, there's some inherent efficiency differences there. Yeah. 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 So that's uh, that's great, but um, I won't take up any more of your time. I'm sure that you you said you're slammed. I'm really happy to. Hear I'm, I'm that happy to see where this progresses. Um, I, my my biggest curiosity is does your bone density continuity because we were losing increasing over four percent per, per uh, two months, so over two two percent increase in bone density per month. I want to see if that continues. Yeah. Um, what, what would you say if it did? Like, if it, I suspect it's the multivite, and and your sled work. Yeah. Uh, throwing throwing down with heavy loadings yeah. because and more packing. Um, but I, I just don't understand why you would have been so poor because of the nutrition previously. Um, vitamin D, you've always supplemented? Um, I, I, I supplement vitamin D more in, in the winter, like, months, the winter right? time yeah. and stuff because I'm outside so much. Like, I honestly don't believe that with the amount that I'm outside. You shouldn't be that, like, I would, You don't yeah, wear sunscreen? No. No. Yeah. no. Um, and how many years have you done vitamin D supplementation? five six now because it could have been that you're actually no that wouldn't be true it would be nine because my oldest daughter is nine and when we started start, giving her the vitamin d then yeah, i just you start taking, taking it as well and again you've been an outdoors guy all all your life yeah so i can't six years yeah I'm, I'm still confused by the mechanism for the low bone mass but regardless it's improving yeah and in if it keeps improving at these irregular rates and stuff so the, the thing to me like if this is irregular um bone density re-regulation mm-hmm. 
um, it goes into this weird component about my body where like I, my body self healed my glomerulonephritis, nephritis, mm-hmm. which doesn't make doesn't any happen. sense. Yeah. doesn't happen. So like, and you're know, like all these things, like these ailments that I've ever had, like in my body, like these were, it seems my body does a great job of being able to take care of itself. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know what's going on with my body, but I feel like if I just give it the right resources and then it'll, it'll take, it, care. Uh, it take care of well, itself. And, so. and like any phenomenon, you get outliers. Yeah. And we always talk about the average of the normal, but that's not representation of the whole population. You get yeah. the, the freaks who do things a little faster. So yeah, let's see how she goes. All right. Well, until okay. next time, Peter. That was fantastic. Blake. Thank Good you very much. Again.